Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Oksanya. All right, hello and welcome to Retirementals. I'm Abraham Oksanya and I'm excited to have you all here today. I am super excited by our guest today, um, Bella Caridid Ferreira, who is the CEO of Fondscape. Um, Bella, welcome to Retirementals. Hello, Abraham. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, thank you. Thank you for, for, for making the, the time to, to speak to me. Um, look, I, there's a lot in our conversations that I, I want to unpack. You're one of these big brains in the industry. Oh, thank the, you. you know, <laughs> the, sort of, you know, having a, a, a detailed dive into what firms are doing in terms of platforms, in terms of the asset management and funding inflows. All, all those sort of things. So, but for people who maybe have been living under the rock for the last twenty years, um, <laughs> who, who are don't not familiar, don't don't rub it in. I know I've been around for twenty years, Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> I need to rub it in there. <laughs> no, no, yeah. You know, who, who maybe aren't aware of the journey that you've been through. Give us an insight to the journey that you've been through and, and that led you to the to the creation of, of Fondscape and, and what you do. Oh, gosh, you're asking me to go right back to the beginning. Okay, so in the late 90s, um, I was actually uh, working in investment banking. Um, and, and I got in, I was in, I fell into investment banking really quite by accident, um, mainly because this was when the whole uh, of Europe, um, you know, decided to privatize all their national banks, etc. And I have this amazing, uh, well, amazing, uh, I, I speak three languages, I speak French, Spanish, Portuguese, and a little bit of Italian. So suddenly, you know, my, my skills, because, so, you know, I went to work for sort of a M&A, corporate finance, um, you know, in the financial institutions group, suddenly my skills were in huge demand because I was able to write pitches and presentations in several languages. Right. So I, I didn't go into, an, into investment banking in the traditional way, which a lot of people do straight from university, etc. It really was, I'd had literally just had my son and was flicking through the newspaper and there was this advert, you know, and it's a desperate need for people, you know, with languages and who, who were numerical. So gave it a try. Um, and, and so I was there really. So that's how I started. And I, you know, I went to work for um, uh, Merrill Lynch and I was there until about 2001. And then, you know, to be fair, um, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, as a woman, it's already hard working in investment banking or as, sorry, yeah. I should, I'll, I'll repeat that. It's already hard to work in investment banking for anybody because you have to work really, really long hours. But as a woman and a mother and a mar- and, you know, um, and a wife, it was exceptionally hard. So this was not conducive to married life, uh, family yeah. life. Um, so it was certainly wasn't conducive to family life. I don't, you know, so, um, so I decided to make the switch, um, uh, and and while I was thinking about making that switch, I was approached by somebody out of the blue who asked me if I would be interested in 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 going to work for for them um, because I had the language skills, etc. Um, and this was a very small business called Ferry Fund Market Information, and um, I was their very first employee. And they employed me a week before 9/11. And they had just started, they had just got the funding together to start this, this amazing new project called, it was an amazing new project at the time, called Sales Watch. And um, they had about 10 to 15 clients that signed up, many of them cross-border fund managers. And again, so they, you know, they needed someone to help coordinate all the, you know, uh, stuff. And then 9-11 happens, Abraham. And overnight, those, of those 15 clients, 10 of them melted away overnight. Um, however, that was an interesting, an interesting part uh, a, from that point on. So that was sort of September 2001. Six years later, we were sold. We sold ourselves to Lippa, Thompson Reuters. So we sold ourselves to Lippa while Thompson and Reuters were merging. So Lippa right. was 
voices. So if we went through a double merger. I mean, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't ask for more. And what was really really interesting about this double merger that we went through is that the Thomson Reuters one went through quicker than ours did. You know, so so that was quite interesting. Um, and so I went from working from a you know a, a relatively small team of. 20 people into this huge organization and um and it's not easy working in big organizations you know having to you've got hundreds of thousands of people and you get bombarded by emails people telling you what to do and everything else and it took me a long time to actually just ignore 90 percent of the emails that i was getting you know because i was obviously very senior and then people email you and uh, say you need to do this you need to do that and you need to do this and I was, going, you know, I was getting really stressed about this. And then actually the, the, there's two questions that you should always ask. That's great. Who's paying for it? Um, because that makes 90% of those communications disappear. Uh, so I used to do that. And the other thing I used to do was just ignore. And then what happens is people, you know, after six months or a year, they remember that they emailed you and then they send you <laughs> another one. Uh, um, but that's how you deal with communications in huge organizations. Um, it was quite interesting. Uh, what was also really interesting about Lipper is that uh, they just leave you alone. So, you know, the, the two CEOs that we'd had before we were acquired, they left the business. So my colleague and I, Mauro Baratta at the time, we, we, you know, we literally were running the whole thing. You run the whole show. No one, you know, as long as you're meeting all your targets, et cetera. So, so I, I developed, um, you know, in that short space of time, some very strong skills, you know, because you had to, uh, claim you know you had to apply for funding and do all that stuff but you you're just a business unit and they just you just get on and do with it deal with it um but it did get to the point where I just thought I just can't do this anymore and I'm better off serving the clients from a smaller base and that's when I went off and set up Funscape really in um in 2010 do you want to, do you want me to keep talking or, or do you want to ask me any questions I'll keep going okay so, um, so I went off and set up Funscape, and and at the time, you know, we we talked to clients and said we were going, and this was really interesting, Abraham, because you, you know, sometimes when you talk to clients, you don't get a huge amount of feedback from them. But I was making personal calls and ringing people and saying, look, we're leaving um, Lipper, Thomson Reuters, and people were very upset. Um, yeah. And they were ringing us, um, and I got lots of job offers, which was amazing. Um, I was like, people, like, people want me to work for them? My goodness, what's going on? You know, so, so that was quite an eye-opener, because until then it wasn't really you know, the, how people felt about me and, and my uh, research, et cetera, in the market. It wasn't really obvious to me. But when I was, when I was telling people that, that I was going, um, I could say were somewhat very upset and you know I had to try and explain that I'm going but I will come back in a few months time you know we just want to do things a bit differently so that really reassured people um, but as I said the job offers etc really surprised me um, and then and then um, then we just we set up Funscape and just after our uh, gardening leave had ended we literally ran around to every single fund manager who'd been working with us before and platform etc and sort of said um we're starting again and not as every single one su subscribed straight away wow it was it was a massive vote of confidence not a single one who hadn't you know not a single company and we were brand new um not a single company said no not a single company in fact we had we ended up with more clients than that you know in November 2010 than we'd had in June 2010 you know so um that was a, a really massive vote of confidence and it meant that you know we hit the road running so you know I I literally put a 500 pounds into the business and I used that 500 pound to to build to build a cheap website and that was it you know we in that November we generated a whole load of invoices for, for a year subscription but it was looking I could I don't think that could happen now Abraham because there's so much compliance and so much due diligence that has to be done that most people would say oh we're really sorry we, we just can't our compliance departments won't support you but this is just 12 years ago and every single fund management company in the country or the top 50 
supported us and said yes and signed our agreements. We had confidentiality agreements. They signed them without blinking. You know, it was, I think, you know, it's amazing how, how much things can change in the last, in, in, in the 10 or years that have gone by. Um, so yes, so, so, you know, so we built a business and as you know, when you're the head of your own business, you're allowed to be a bit more mouthy than you would be if you're part, <laughs> than you would be if you're part of a big corporation, right? Because obviously, I mean, I was an official spokesman at Lipper Thompson Reuters, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get away with saying someone's a fuckwit or um, or 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 tell so and so, you know, or, or stuff like that. You know, you just have to be a bit more careful because you could get into a lot of trouble. Um, and obviously, I run my own business. You run your own business. I think we're both respected for the fact that we have we are independent of thought. So I, yes, I don't um, you know I don't upset my clients, but equally, I'm not going to shy away from discussing certain issues. You know, so I try and be as balanced as I can and give. And I think now when I talk to a lot of my clients, um, that's the one thing that they like is that they know that I'm not you know being paid to to support. A particular message or support you know even you know as some of our competitors have been accused of they know that doesn't happen here um that one week i might be writing about so and so's brilliant stuff and the following week i might have to draw attention to the fact that you know they've done something silly but in a nice way you know there's i think it's in a nice way we uh, and i think that's so i think over the years i have people have they, they respect my independence of thought and they no longer, you know, in the old days, they would send me, you'd get reams of really terribly written emails of things that people want, you'd wanted you to say about them in, 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 in my report. And yes. I, I go, no, sorry. I, 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 I work, I, I write myself and this is, I'd go back and say, this is really badly written. I can't include this. <laughs> I said, I'm really fussy about grammar and punctuation and just the style is really bad, really bad. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to say no. Um, let me write what I want to write in my report. So um, so now nobody asks. Now nobody ever asks. And um, and and and, it, and it's good. And, you know, obviously I still I can still offend a few people. There's a particular CEO of a, of a small platform that has been sold that isn't talking to me at the moment um <laughs> I, I, I mean i'm fascinated by that uh, by how you deal with um you know people who take things personally i think that you know to to, to, to a good extent you and i are notorious for saying what we think there was somebody um uh, who remained uh, you know nameless this is actually yeah. a good uh, conversation and they said to me that when they were at co-funds, the, yeah. the term was, Bella used to make my life hell. In other, words, <laughs> in other words, every time you say something in the press or you publish your data, there's this whole sort of chain reaction happening <laughs> within, within these organizations about what you'd publish or what you were going to say about them. So it is, you're right, it is a difficult one to manage. But I think like what I think the, the, the thing, that, you know, so what, I'm not I'm not deliberately nasty or cruel, you know, but for example. Well, I am, but carry <laughs> But But I try, what I try and do is you can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? So if, you know, my the main focus of the platform report is, you know, is a benchmarking report for a lot of people. We're looking at the assets, the gross, the net sales, etc. If someone is persistently at the bottom of the table for a particular reason, then it's not something I can ignore. I need to talk about it and I need to explore it. And sometimes I might sort of. Uh, so there's there's a couple of things we do. I always interview people in every report. I will have a conversation with at least one or two people, and I will include bits of that conversation and it's got to the point people actually really like that they really really like seeing you know what people what people say and everything else but I also do it in a way you know I try and unpick it in a really thoughtful way why has this gone wrong you know what what was the could be a, a thing from the past you know they, they could be dealing with an issue that 
um, is, a, is no fault of their own. It could, you know, it could be something that started 20 years ago or it's, you know, it's a company strategy, et cetera. But, but I make the point of being friendly, always friendly, polite. I speak to everybody in exactly the same way, whether you're, you know, cleaning the toilets or you're the CEO. Um, I, I'm very respectful of people's time. I'm a small business. I don't expect people to give me, you know, all their time. So I will ask nicely. Um, but I just think that over time, um, people have, a, I'd say, a grudging respect for the fact that I, I'm not, I'm going to say what I want to say mm. and, and not what you want me to say about you. But I think why they like that is because it happens to everybody. So everybody, you know, at some point or other, I might have talked about Aviva or Novia or CoFunds or things that they've done. Um, you know, or, or I might stretch, you know, draw some light on it. So now what happens is that people, I have meetings every month with, with all the top people and they get in touch with me if they want to talk me through their numbers and explain things. Um, and, and I think because it is balanced, it's not a, you know, it's not sort of a, a knife fest or whatever. It, it's, it is, I try and give it as, uh, as balanced a view as possible. And I suppose, you know, there's a lot of insight there. I always give my opinion. I think I say what I think is going to happen. Um, and so I'm all, it's quite interesting when I do talk to very senior people because they can sometimes, they will sometimes quote back things that I've written. And I realize that they have actually read it from, from you know, from top to bottom, which is also a nice thing to know. Um, but also, Abraham, I, I think I'm, I'm only as good as the last report I wrote. I'm only yeah. as good as that. Yeah. I, can't, I can't coast forever on, you know, past glories. And this is what a lot of companies do. So um, everything I do, every time I pick up my pen or my laptop to write something, I put a huge amount of effort into it. Um, and every report has got to be as good as it possibly can be. It's never, I don't do it's good enough. Yeah. It's got to be, at, and I, and you, my team will tell you, and they'll probably, you know, they'll tell you, I'm a perfectionist and I will go through it and go through it and grow through it. Even if it means I only change two words, but to, to get the tone right. So, um, so, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm humble, I'm humble. I come from humble backgrounds. You know, my parents were immigrants to this country. They work really hard. I was given a work, you know, I, 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 from them I have a work ethic. So I, I work bloody hard um, every day. Um, and I'm also conscious that I'm only as good as my last report. Next week, following month, next year, someone else may be doing, thinking they can do. And as you and I both know, there's lots of, we have lots of competitors in the market who are always snapping at our heels and trying to do what we do. Um, mm, mm. So that's, no, that's, yeah. No, it's fascinating. You, you clearly, you clearly manage this whole sort of process, um, you know, sort of this good friction in my view um, than, than I did in my days as, as a consultant. Um you know, and I'm fascinated by your thoughts around, well, look, your rumble about it, um, you know, and, and thinking about that humble background and immigrant background. I guess I guess I approach it differently. You know, I am a first generation British. Yeah. In other words, I am an immigrant. I, I yes. like, like I tell my kids, you know, like I came into this country with my feet. You came in head first, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> That's you know, a really if, good point. Yeah. If yeah. they're born here. And so I have a sh chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I didn't travel, I don't know, 6,000 miles across Africa to kiss anybody's butt um, in Britain. But anyway, well, yeah, let's leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's an interesting point, though, isn't it, Abraham? Because you're right, you know, and, and certainly my parents as immigrants would be much more, you know, like, know your place, etc. But there's two things. As a woman in, in financial services, you can either be, um, you know, try and fit in and try and, you know, in a male dominated world, or, or you try and stand out. And when I first started working at Ferry, I had a, a brilliant boss, Rodney, he's just retired, actually. And I tried to be what I thought a woman in the city should be, mm, right? Mm, and mm. that's wear suits and wear high heels. And that's not mm. me. I'm a tomboy. Mm. You know me. I'm a tomboy. I got 
mad curly hair. You never see me in a pair of high. You've never ever seen me in a pair of heels, apart from at, you know platform of the year awards or something like that. That's the only time. So I tried to be everything I wasn't, and at the same time tried to be what I thought was a, the right kind of uh, woman in this industry, uh, which was basically smile look pretty, don't say anything, which is absolutely mm. anathema to me, really. So, um, so my, and my boss actually just, he said, why are you trying to be something you're not? He said, mm. actually, he said, people like your wit, people like your, your tongue, you know, but use it, you know, use it, speak up, say what you think, don't hold back. So he gave me active encouragement to be myself rather than trying to fit into this, well, I had this this outdated view of what what a woman should be like in this industry, um, and so he, you know, he gave me that 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 the encouragement to be like that. So within that small business, um, and then that obviously I, that carried on, and obviously I'm in my fifties now and ornery and old and got plenty to say <laughs> about everything <laughs> about everything. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's. That's really where we are. You asked me, you, you, so that was really how we got to Funscape. And then you asked me about Finscape and what that is about. Yeah, so I, I'm fascinated by Finscape and your partnership with um, Alt- you know, Alters. What yeah. are you trying to do? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so um, so we, we've gone from a world where 20, 30 years ago, a fund manager would sell to an advisor and an advisor would sell to the client. And a fund manager, if he wanted to sell more funds to that advisor, he would um, pay a higher retrocession, right? A higher commission. So, um, I mean, not all not all advisors work like that, but a lot of them did. So, so it was really easy for a fund manager. He knew who his advisor clients were. And if he wanted to sell more, he just paid a higher commission and so on. And then the world changed. Platforms mm. came along, inserted themselves in the value chain. Suddenly there was a bit of obscurity because the platforms were doing that job and they were um, you know, aggregating those sales. So there's two things that happened. For a fund manager, there was an upside to that because suddenly they weren't getting hundreds of thousands of little volumes coming through on fax, as that's used to be, right? All these fax machines. So they could get rid of all their t- armies of people because they were getting from the platforms big you know, fewer sales, but they were much larger in volume. That was the upside. So they allowed, it gave them efficiency to scale, etc. The downside to that was that um, in, in, in doing so, suddenly they didn't really know who their clients were. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, so if you even if you set aside all the regulatory obligations that we've had, like treating customers fairly, suitability, etc. If you're trying to design a product for somebody right at the end of a value chain and you have no idea what they want, how they're going to use it, whether it's part of a retirement scheme or anything. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you know, you, you, you manage the money, but you don't know who the client is and exactly. you don't know what the money is for. Yes. And you don't, you don't know any of that. And so how do you design product? How do you make sure that you have the right people selling your product? Because you could have a fund manager could have an army of 30 sales guys, but actually he doesn't know it. Two of them might be the only ones who are bringing in the business. The rest mm. might be just coasting, you know, mm. hanging on his coattails. So, so what, what Finscape was about, and we already had touchstone in the past, which I'm sure you know about. Yes. Touchstone. Yes. Then financial clarity came in and everything else. Um, but, you know, looking at those systems, and I've worked, I've worked very closely with financial clarity. So looking at that system, what, what really bothered me about that was the length of time it takes to get any data on it. And there was a lot of, for me, a lot of double counting in it too. So, so for example, if you did a sale in January of this year, 2021, then that's not going to, so that will be in your quarterly data. That wouldn't be published by Financial Clarity until May. Okay, so that how is that relevant anymore? You know, it's not fresh, it's not timely, it's not relevant, it doesn't act, it's not actionable. So I think that was, for me, the issue really. So I said, if I'm a fund manager, I want to see data that is weeks old, not months mm-hmm. old. And, I, and preferably, I want, I want to see data that is just, 
you know, month end plus two, three days. So that's really where it where it started. Um, and we started and we started talking about it and designing it backwards from a very much from a user's perspective rather than a software. So that's what we changed. We did completely differently. Most people design it from a software. You get software people who design and go, well, this is how I want it to work, you know, but actually they're not taking user's perspective into account. So we did it the back to front. What does the user need and how can we accommodate that in our models? How do we, what do we do? So we, we work backwards. Um, and then we also did some really fresh thinking as well, because to make our, to make Finscape work, we need to have platform data. You know, we need all the platforms to, to give us data as well. So I went to all the platforms and said, look, you have the same needs as fund managers. You also want to know what the market trends are. You want to know yeah. whether you're the first or second or third platform or, you know, you have the same kind of uh, analysis needs. So if we give you what you need for free, will you give us your data? And, and that basically was what, what's happened. So um, in, in, just, in just over a year, we've got the same number of platforms as, as financial clarity. Um, so we, we're the last three are just sort of going through due diligence and, and legals, et cetera. But by, by the end of the year, we will have more platforms than, than the current uh, incumbent in the market, financial clarity. And so the idea is to have a technology hub or a platform where the platforms will supply data. And if you're a, a platform, you can only see the data if you contribute to the data of fund inflow, where the money is going. Exactly, exactly. So for example, you've got your wonderful new um, service, Betafolio, right? Correct, So you, yes. you're a DFM. So you will be able to um, come onto the, onto the thing and you will be able to see all the advisors in the market that use DFMs. Right. Okay? So you'll be able to see, you'll be able to look at a, an advisor and go, right, my share of that advisor's business is 10%. Mm -hmm. That's great. Last month, I only had 5%. If, for example, you can see that your share of his business is shrinking, that allows you to... to, to, to now, what you won't be able to see is who else is using, which other DFMs, because obviously that right. would be just a bit too, a bit too transparent. But uh -huh. you will have a good view of what's happening in the market. So you'd be able to see, right, 70% of all advisors are now using DFMs. And we've got... And our share of that whole DFM business is 5, 10, 15, 20%. Our uh -huh. share of the, of the assets is this much. Our share of the flows is this much. You will also be able to see trends in, for example, the type of models being used, that kind of thing. So what we're doing is acting as a huge repository, um, giving people the market context and giving you um, a resource to help you focus your sales more, more, more carefully. Um, so... So if you're a fund manager, so go ahead, yeah. No, carry on, sorry. No, so if you're a fund manager, um, for example, um, you may look at the market and see that the market is rotating. You may have a European equity fund. You may go, right, the whole of the market seems to be rotating from European equity into US equity. Now, if you've got a US equity fund, that's great because you can pick up the phones, you can go and look at those people who are rotating, say, I've got a great US equity fund, don't move, stay with me. But if you haven't, you know, you can also understand that, okay, well, maybe if this is, is this a permanent rotation, is, you know, is it a more structural change in the market? Do I need to launch my own fund, you know? Um, and then or equally, you could be looking as a fund manager, looking at all the models and the model portfolios and thinking, I'm not getting a big chunk of that business. What is, what's wrong with, what's wrong with my funds? What do I need to do? Do I need to reduce the fees? Do I need to improve the performance? You know, how do I get onto these models Onto these into these portfolios, so there's a there's a whole host of stuff. But equally, we can act as a bit of an Amazon, um, where um, a fund manager can say, "Well, look, we've got all this target market stuff that we need to send out to all the platforms, and we don't want to do that. Can we just give it to you? And then they can give it to us, and we will just disseminate it for them, and vice versa. The platforms may say to us, "We've got a whole load of MI that needs to go to a whole load of fund managers." Can we give you one lot of MI and you make sure that the right bits get to the right people? And we go, yeah, of course. So, so we're a sort of an Amazon in that we, um, 
we you know we've we've got we've got our own product and our own service to deliver but we can also facilitate ancillary services for both the fund, fund managers the dfms and the platforms so fascinating so this is and the level of the insights is at um sort of fund manager or fund level um platform level or dfm platform and dfm level and then the the um the advisor yeah so it goes down to the advice firm level right, right? Okay. so advice firm level so you'd be able to drill right down to the advice firm level not the individual advisor uh, or, you know we've had a lot of debate about that on whether you know they're, they're obviously professionals on a register, et cetera. But for GDPR reasons, we, we have decided to just go down to the advisor, uh, advice firm level. Uh, right. right. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming then, no, is, is there insights, even, even if anonymized? Um, yeah, so the, so the insights con- are... And consumer level, in, right? The, in, the actual investor. So we don't show consumer stuff, um, right. you know, we don't go that low. So all this data is anonymized and aggregated. So, for yeah. example, you'll be able to go on, um, um, Abraham, and look at, say, the northeast of England, say, right, I want to know what the average advisor is doing there. So you would be able to work out what the average pot size is, for example, whether they use models, you know, what, what, the, what the trends are locally. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you were deciding to expand there, then you could look at all the firms, for example, that where there's, they've got a lot of opportunity, they're interested in models, that would be, give your, that would give Ed his little list and off Ed could go and, um, you know, get, get, some, get some sales done. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that, that so it's a, it's a useful, in this day and age, money and resources tight. So what we're doing is, taking data and turning it into intelligence for fund companies, platforms, DFMs, and, and there'll be more, there'll be more uh, plans. Uh, you know, we, what we've, we started with the, with the UK, obviously, and we started with platforms, and the next step would be to go into, into Europe. In fact, we're already, uh, some of the fund managers that we've signed up um, already giving us the MI. So even if we don't have all the platforms and all, in Europe, if the, the fund managers that we're signing give us the MI from those platforms, we can give them a complete book view of their book of business. And are you focusing on advisor platform only or D2C and what happens with the off-platform stuff? Which so we're, so that- we're fo- Yeah, so we're focusing mainly on intermediated businesses. That's going right, to be okay. on on and off platform yeah mm-hmm. um because we've we'll we can we'll be able to see for example if all the farm managers and all the platforms give us data we'll be able to see all the d2c business um you know and then so that that's fine we can identify it but really what people are interested in is the intermediated business you know who's managing who's got money who's managed you know who's managing clients who's managing um you know wealth on a discretionary or advisory basis how do I get my funds in the door? But we, what we also show people, for example, is that they may be looking at an advisor firm, but if that advisor firm is holding, you know, good funds, that's just, they're just not going to switch. You can't, you know, we, we show you the opportunity based on your own um, fund ratings, for example. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. This is the whole new episode Abraham, that you can you can bring me back to do a whole FinScape episode if you want. <laughs> Absolutely, we we should we should totally do that. I want to get your your view on a couple of other things though. Mm-hmm. So let let's let's move on to to platform your your latest um sort of platform report. Um, essentially put AUM on on, on platforms in general um at eight hundred billion, which is. Yeah incredible when you think about it as of the end of march 2021 yeah. um, so can you break that down for us in terms of um advisor platform versus d2c or direct um, platform yes. and so, the key drivers yeah. there so we have so uh, you know the interesting thing is of course we have lots of platforms that are not just one one channel there's lots of mm-hmm. multi-channel yeah. platforms now so you've got your fidelities agons etc so uh, most of the platforms give, you know, report all their data. So um, the retail advised channel, you know, with, with the advisor platforms, that's about 550. And there's a chunk in, in institutional corporate business. 
um, and then the D2C. So the D2C bit is growing quite fast. And that's been a really, this year has been so interesting. You know, the, the, I say this year, what I mean is that since March 2020 until now, the last 18 months, the, the post-pandemic era um, has been really interesting because people, D2C has taken off. Hugely, you know, you get the likes of AJ Bell who are actually producing, uh, generating sales of equal measure through both channels. That was unheard of a couple of years ago, you know, for, for AJ Bell. Um, so it's it's really really strong, um, and it is. It, 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 the pandemic did a couple of things, didn't it? People were at home, and I, I, they had less to do. They didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't have any sporting events to watch. They didn't have it. So you know, having sort of cleaned the house and done the garden and everything else <laughs> they then go bloody hell I better tackle my finances and it sort of spawned this whole massive interest so having started tackling their finances people have gone and then they've also got extra cash in the bank because they're not yeah. going out mm. so suddenly it's how do I invest this how do so you know so it's great to see this huge um you know swell of of D2C activity for me my concern really is that people um, I, I, I absolutely love and want to encourage people to invest. I'm a great believer that I want to, in, I don't want to make rich people richer, Abraham. I say this yeah. all the time. I want to democratize investments for everyone and an investment is for everyone. My concern is that people are rushing in. So the whole crypto thing is a massive bubble, you know. So when my PA, I, I, we've done a couple of blog posts because when my PA's daughter, you know, rings her mum from university and says, everyone's investing in crypto. I feel like I'm missing out. I need to put my money in crypto. I'm going to put my grant in crypto. Yeah, I'm going to put my loan in crypto. No, do mm. not do that. People are, yeah. that's the kind of silly thing that people are doing. Mm. So our, our job, our next job is great. We've got everyone investing is how do we teach them to be, um, a bit less now it's a bit you know everyone wants something now it's a, it's deferred gratification investing is also a deferred gratification thing you have to invest for the long term and it's got to be sustainable so that's the the next thing that i'm trying to figure out is how do we do that so we're doing quite a bit on um instagram and i think the next thing we're going to start doing is some little videos on tiktok and stuff um just to get people thinking about that Interesting, interesting. So again, correct me if I've got this wrong. There is about sort of 550 in the yep. advice land and 250 in 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 yep. D2C and, and, yeah, and all right, the all exactly. direct. Yes. And and does the inflow sort of follow that um two-third advice um and the rest in 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 direct? No, um, so it's about half and half at the moment. Oh, wow, okay. So, so, the, so the flows, the D2C flows are strong, really strong. Right. Um, so, you know, we what we had is um, we'd, we'd had the last two or three years have been difficult in the UK because of Brexit and all sorts of other reasons. And we won't get into what I think about that. Um, but, but you know, over the, over the pandemic, over the last year, people have got to the point where they're going, well, I can't. I've got so much money in the bank, I can't sit here any longer. So I think having had, um, you know, when obviously the, the deal got done, the Brexit deal got done, then we had the ISIS season, we had vaccines. So November, November, December, back end of last year, we had some brilliant news. It came in threes. The vaccines were working. Um, you know, Brexit was done, everything else. And, and then that meant that so when the, the year started this year, huge amount of money was pumped into into ISAs and pensions and um, and on both sides, on the intermediate, you know, from the intermediated side and also the D2C, which was great to see. Um, so I think and I think that's going to carry on. Um, People are feeling confident about the future of, of the UK uh, post-Brexit. And I think the fact that we are pumping so much into infrastructure and vaccine programmes and everything else gives people another level of confidence that life is going to return to normal. So do you expect that at some point um, direct platforms will catch up with um, advice platform, maybe overtake it or, or not? No, 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 I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. Um, 
so I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Look, we saw the announcement, didn't we, about Chase, JP Morgan Chase buying yes. Nutmeg. And, and Nutmeg's the oldest robo in the country, and it's been here for God knows how long. Um, Ten years. Ten yeah. years and a hundred million, sorry, a hundred exactly. million of cash. Burnt, yeah. It's burnt, it's burnt through a hundred million of cash. God, God knows how many CEOs, etc. Um, <laughs> and um, and and it still doesn't make a profit. And the reason it doesn't make a profit, Abraham, is it's bloody hard to recruit customers. Yeah. This, you know, you have to spend a lot of money on customer acquisition, so you need scale. So ultimately, the likes of Nutmeg and others. What they need to be is be part of a much larger organize a bank, you know, a Lloyd's. Um, uh, you know, it needs to be a mainstream. When you log into your bank, it's right there. Um, mm. And the banks, as we know, got really scared, um, you know, ten years ago, and because they'd had their wrists slapped, and so they removed every single advisor, sorry, salesman advisor from the bank. Um, they removed them from the bank branches. And so people have had nowhere to go. Yeah. And my issue, my issue with that is that ordinary people in the street, you ask someone about, say, about investment, they go, oh, no, 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 but investments aren't for me. People yeah. say, why? Well, I, you know, savings, I don't have enough to invest. No, everyone has enough to invest. And, and we've created that, and that's partly down to regulation. You know, the FCA also has to, you know, accept that it's been a twat when it comes to um, <laughs> when it comes to regulation. Um, you know, or we expect people to we people can go and take out a loan, a payday loan, um, yeah. without thinking and a blink of the eye, and yet we can't let them invest. So the the there's so many negative connotations uh, attached to to investing that people are very very wary of it but they're not wary of a loan they're not they don't care about a loan a payday no it's fine you know do you see what i mean or an ordinary loan so i think we need to rebalance that we need to rebalance and and maybe reframe the word risk and what mm. i would i would say to people um, and then, you know abraham this might be something for you and me to do together one day but i would say <laughs> to people you know there's good risk and there's bad risk Right. Good risk yeah. is leaving home and going to university. Mm. Bad risk is staying at home working in Tesco's. Your your life's not going to change, you know. Mm. Um, good risk is, you know, is 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 applying for a new job and a promotion and, and going, you know, that that might not work out, but it's a risk. It's a good risk that you're prepared to take. Um, mm. So we need to reframe the word risk and we need to also reframe uh, reframe and um, the word pension. Mm. I think if, if if we can get across to people, because if you talk to people about risk, they're immediately scared. Um, but we need to explain to people it's good risk and bad risk. And, you know, there are certain things. You, we just need to reframe that. And I think and the word pension as well, because people always think that um, pensions are for far later in life and they shouldn't worry about them now. So. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump and uh, to, to a related point that I wanted to get your, uh, you know, your thoughts on, which is um, the, the almighty Vanguard, right? So <laughs> Vanguard now is essentially flexing its muzzle in, in all the different direction. It's got its funds, active, passive, multi-asset, it's got it. Then, you know, and ETFs, it's got it, right? It's now got its own platform, at least in the direct space, and that that must be touching a billion now, I think, or maybe it's exceeded it. Now it's, um, about, it's, it's, it's about six billion actually. The Vanguard. Six billion. Yeah. Why? Where have I been? Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, um, and then you've got you, you. Then it's got its um, you know newly launched model portfolio service for for the retirement um, and. And it's now coming into the advice markets, you know. And I'm speaking to the to the CEO uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But I wanted to get your thoughts on how do you see, um, you know, how do you see that? What what's your take on what what what, what Vanguard's doing in this space? 
So, so look. So what I like about Vanguard is that Vanguard never rushes in and does anything. It's very mm. thoughtful about how it does things. Um, and it came into the UK um, uh, just just before RDR. RDR yes. really it came in mm. and started sort of working in the intermediate. It really waited for RDR. It could have been in before, but it knew it was never going to be able to sell its products for advisors because advisors wanted commission. There was no way they were going to give commission. So it came in then, but everything it does, it does very thoughtfully. And, um, you know, listen, I've got stuff on, uh, should I tell you what I did? in when oh, I opened yeah, my, absolutely. I'll tell you what I did. When I opened my ISA in April 2000, 2020, in bank, you know, the pandemic had just started. I opened my ISA, I opened it on Vanguard and I stuck all 20 grand into an ISA and I put it all into an 80% life strategy fund. Yes. Yeah. And I I knew it might I knew it might go up and down. I thought I'm gonna have to close my eyes for the next for the <laughs> next for the next couple of years. But we're investing for the long term. Yeah. yeah. And so and the way I looked at it is it's cheap. It's really cheap. So even if you do, it's not a perfect, you know, asset allocation, et cetera. Um, and yes, when the markets go down, it's still really cheap because we, you and I both know that there's the, the, the answer to long-term investing is two things, low cost and asset allocation. That's all. So if you've got your costs wrong, you, you know, you can have a brilliant asset allocation and brilliant investments, but if the costs are too high, forget it. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that was my pun on the Vanguard thing. So I can tell you now that that actually, uh, that that's done really well. My eyes has done really, really well, which is good. Um, so it's not ideal for everybody, but it is low cost. Um, they do also have active funds. People forget that, you know, so, um, you know, they, they do run, they're, they're not a passive provider. They're a low cost provider. And I think that, that's a good a good message this new advisor thing that they've done the, the new sort of um sip uh, yeah. the new sort of uh, advice thing the, the, the they set the, the criteria really really high actually so it's actually quite hard to to, to get to, to get selected to be you know they, they've been very very careful but it is quite hard to actually get selected um to be you know to, to be accepted on the system but look i, I like vanguard it is to a certain extent, a vertically integrated business because you've got platform that's own funds, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a low cost, a very low cost version, which is preferable to the very high cost version of, say, St. James's Place, which just takes all your money and gives you nothing back. So um, do, do you think that Vanguard is going to make a dent in, say, SJP's market or even no, the, no. The, the IFA market? I don't. I think it, it will make a, It will make a, a dent in in the IFA market. I think. Um, I don't think it will make a dent in the SJP market because people are. I, I, do you know? I met somebody who was with SJP. Somebody uh, in a bar, an older couple. Uh, they were in their sixties, just retired, and when they told me that they were with SJP, I said to them, "Oh goodness, poor you!" And they were really, really. <laughs> And, but they, but funnily enough, Abraham, they were really annoyed with me. So they, um, they said we get a very good service from SJP, and da da da, and da da da. We never had a this kind of service before. So SJP are very, very good at appealing at what people want, and they want to be, they want glossy brochures, they want to feel like they're being looked after, and of course, everything is written in such a way that you, you don't actually find out that you're. You know, investments aren't doing so well, or or that they're not, or that they should be doing better. I think is the point. Um, so, so they appeal to that vanity that people have. You know, look after me, treat me well, etc. But that's an older generation, and I think as time, you know, Vanguard isn't going to be able to take that business away. But as younger people, uh, you know, more informed people, and, and the younger generations, they they were brought up. They've been brought up differently. My kids and your kids, they don't they don't like to pay for anything, as you well know, right? You know, right. Like, you know, like everything is I wanna I wanna get 
you know, the fact that we used to buy CDs and albums just amazes my parents. You know, <laughs> you used to pay for music. That's what they You used to pay for music. They're so used to getting it for free. Or, you know, obviously we've got a Spotify account for them. But, you know, that's the thing. This young, these younger generations are much more money conscious and they want to spend their money on what they want. So they, they want to have... Um, they want to go traveling and etc doing that living their best life they will and they don't want to spend it on you know paying some advisor to line his pocket so i think that there's a different mentality going on and yes the vanguards will appeal to the younger generations and, and as long as it's doing what it says on the tin that, that's the main thing fantastic stuff we we've covered a lot of ground bella there, there is a whole lot that i still want to talk to you about but I wouldn't disrespect your time. And of course, my producer, Hannah, is going to, is, she's going to have me for lunch if, if I keep pushing it. But um, so, so that means we have to get you back. We have to get you back on, <laughs> well, on the podcast. Absolutely. I feel, I, I, feel like, I feel like I've talked a lot and only answered a half of your questions. So if you want to ask me one last question before we go, feel free. But otherwise... Uh, we can. I'm happy to come back at another stage and talk about women and saving and kids and uh, everything. Yeah, let, let's wrap it up. Look, um, thank you very much for your time, for your wisdom, for, for the work that you continue to, to do in this space. Um, and we're, we're going to reach out in a couple of weeks' time and, I don't know, a couple of months and, yes. and get you back to, to dive deeper into, into all the wonderful stuff that, that you are doing. So, Bella, thank you very much for, for your time. Thank you very much, Abraham. Thank you for having me. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together, led by my producer, Hannah Dickinson. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.